So, how many of you are raised in churches where a focus of the church was communicating to people that God loved laughter? How many of you grew up in a church like that? Like laughter was a really important part of your church experience. How many of you grew up in a church where laughter was not an important part of your experience? Okay, look around now. Same thing with me. I thought, I was trying to remember some of the things that we were always told as kids. Uh, be still. You remember that? I, uh, at First Evangelical Church of Memphis, Tennessee on Union Extended, all the backs of all the pews was made of plywood. And so nervous, you know, hyper kids like me, always hitting your feet like a, like a crack on the back of the, the, the pew in front of you. And I remember then, you know, then you'd get the evil stares from the, all the parents who were disapproving of you. So I can't remember feeling that. I remember also, don't laugh was not cool. It was okay to maybe have a, a small murmur, but out and out laughter in a church service was really not allowed. It was frowned upon. And then, oh, is this to tell me when I have to quit? What if I don't feel like listening to it? Okay. Uh, anybody ever remember hearing in church, don't run? Don't run in, like, don't run in the halls. That's why at, at, um, at the Troy campus, we put in an orange slide. Because I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a lobby where kids run and where kids, you know, and kids slide? This was part of that vision. What about um, uh, grow up? What about grow up? Like if God really, what God cared about was us growing up. And so I just thought all of these couldn't be further from the truth about how God is in terms of his character in our lives. And so this is what I want to leave with you today. I really believe that God and joy were meant to go together. I really believe that kids were meant to run in the hallways of church. I think laughter and silliness was a part of what God envisioned for us along the way. And so I want to think about this idea of laughter with you today biblically. And there's a couple of words that we're going to look at. And kind of the, there's a, a word used for laughter in the Hebrew called sakach. And it means to jest or to sport or to, or to make sport of. It's this idea of laughter. And the first thing I want you to think about with me today is this. Laughter is a gift from God. Laughter is a gift from God. I think God is laughing all the time. Jenny up here, she and Justin are pregnant with their fourth child. They have three daughters. They found out that they're having a boy. And when they found out they were having a boy, what do you think they did? They laughed. Because there's something about life when it throws little strange curves. I remember uh, when Paula and I were pregnant with our fourth child, which she was so embarrassed. We had one car that worked some of the time. We had no money in those days. And unlike now where I'm fabulously like, you know, <laughs> cash flowing out of my pockets. Uh, and, but Paula was 38. And they said, well... Well, you really should have an ultrasound. I said, well, it's not going to make any difference. I mean, it doesn't matter what. We're just, he said, well, it would be helpful to know. So it was the only ultrasound we had. So we took the three girls in with us. And we saw immediately it was a little boy. And what did we do? We laughed. But you know what? You know what I thought? I thought, what am I going to do with all those girls' clothes? <laughs> I got all this incredible wardrobe of three daughters. And then you laugh again. You think you're laughing because I'm thinking about girls' clothes. And so as you think about this, the first thing I want you to know is this. It's very clear from Scripture. 
Laughter is a gift from God. In fact, in one of the most intense moments in the history of Israel, God was bringing the people of Israel back to himself, and they had wandered a long, long way away. And this was in the the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the, The people of Israel had just had forgotten about God, so they'd come back to hear the word of God again. Listen to what happens. Just follow this. I think you can see it on the screen behind me. It said that the people of Israel, is talking about them in Nehemiah 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. And then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Okay, right? That's, that's something you would expect. We're reading the word of God. This is a big day. This is a day that is set apart. Holy means set apart, belonging exclusively to God. And then something really surprised, at least to me, was very surprising. Nehemiah says to the people, because it's holy to the Lord your God, what's the next line say? Do not what? Do not mourn or weep. No, this is not about getting on your face. This is not about groveling and, 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 and just weeping. This is the day holy, which means something else. It says, because when the people heard the word of God, they had all been weeping as they listened to the words. Why were they weeping? They were weeping for the wasted years and for the wandering and for the, the leaving of God. I've seen that a thousand, a thousand times at Kensington, people who weep over the wasted years of their life. And you think, wow, I should just mourn forever. And what does God say? God says, no. God says, don't weep. This day is holy to me. And then this, look at what Nehemiah says. This day is holy for all the people have been weeping. He said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Sounds like Thanksgiving, doesn't it? It's probably where the idea came from. Eat and then share with others. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In fact, there's a couple other verses in the Old Testament that connect that joy and strength are are inseparable together. You have joy, you have strength. They've actually done done exercises and studies where um, uh, I remember seeing this at uh, Steve Covey's Seven Habits thing years ago where they had people hold their arms up and they said, hold them up as long as you can and someone would come and try to pull their arms down to their side. And and, and the exercise went like this. You say, well, hold your arms up and they'd have everybody in the room boo and just yell, yell insults at the person, and the person's arms would just come right down. And they said, okay, this time we want you to cheer like crazy. Cheer this person on. Believe they can keep their arms up. And the person's strength was, was tripled. It was, it was crazy. You thought, it's got to be a gimmick. But it wasn't, because there's joy and strength go together. This Hebrew word, actually, chedva, which means joy, Really, it's interesting. I want you to think about this today, wherever you are, especially if you're depressed today. Because when we talk about God-loving laughter, we live in a culture that is struggling with depression more than I've ever seen. I've seen it in the young people. I've seen it across, across all facets of society. We live where we're constantly bombarded with the heartbreaking news of the world, and we're trying to live with that, but we can't do anything about it. And so we forget joy. But this word joy in the Hebrew really means Not the feeling of joy, but the choosing of joy. Where you make a decision to rejoice as a behavior as much as a feeling. 
And then the word strength here indicates a place of safety or refuge. Isn't that interesting? Like when you choose joy, you find that you're safe. There's a place where you're safe. It's with God. That God is your strength when you come back to him. And I think when we come back to him, we start to see the funny things in life. I thought it's so interesting. The church I grew up in did not allow applause. Like they thought applause was unholy. And you know what I realized? They never read the Bible. They knew the Bible inside out, but they read it through a grid which was joyless. Took my grandson out to, normally I have two grandsons uh, on Thursdays. My wife and I watch them, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm work, I work part Thursdays, and I kind of come and go. And uh, one of them was sick, so I took my grandson, CK, and we were at a fun, fun uh, breakfast place. It was early Thursday morning. And uh, at, the, at the end, uh, he wanted to sit in his own chair. But slowly as the meal went on and we were doing stuff, he slowly draped one leg over mine, and then, and then he finished the meal, sitting in my lap, spilling food all over me. And then, and then at the end of the meal, he, he stood up. He, he's three and a half, so he stood up on my lap, and he's looking down at my head, kind of rubbing my head. He says, Gimpy, you don't have any hair. I said, I said yeah, you're right. He says, that's because you're old. You know, laughter is seeing the beauty around you, seeing the good. I thought, how lucky am I to have such an observant grandson (laughs) who sees me and loves me and notices me because there's going to come a day he's not going to notice me, right? Those of you who are older than me, you know what that's like. All of a sudden your grandkids are too busy doing stuff. But I thought, all of a sudden I've got grandkids in my life. I'm laughing more. Children laugh 500 times a day. Adults laugh on average 15 times each day. You know what that's a sign of? That's a sign of what life does to us. And you know what? The church and the people who follow Jesus made a huge mistake because we thought following Jesus should be serious when it should be joyful. It should be filled with sweet drinks and good food and sharing with others. That's what church was meant to be like from the book of Nehemiah. And yet we lost that somewhere along the way. And people thought, oh, church should be this or that. And people get so serious and we lose the joy. And when you lose the joy, what do you lose? You lose your strength. Second thing that I want you to think about is this. And I'm going to actually got a little video to show you from uh, we found uh, uh, just kind of looking at the science of laughter. Before we do that, I want to receive the offering. And this is the great moment. Everybody can laugh now. We're going to receive money now. Okay, that's good. Oh, because that was the video. Good, perfect timing. Uh, but you just cost me 15 seconds. Okay. Uh, ushers, you go ahead and do that. Uh, I know if you're visiting with us, if you become a guest, I want you to know that you can let the offering roll by you. But also you can give as much as you want. We have amazing things happening along the way. Um, I love what God is doing uh, in our body and in the midst of all the things that are incredible. By the way, uh, I want to just thank, I want to, I want to honor the Birmingham campus because you know, this fall, Clint and Michael Dupin launched uh, East Town out in San Ramon, California. They had a baptism service last Sunday, baptized five new believers. Okay, that's on you. Way to go. 
And then uh, two weekends ago, Colin and Liz Harfield, remember Colin, Liz was our intern director and Colin was our campus director here for several years. They just launched, oh shoot, Anthem, Anthem Church in Boston. And uh, they, they are following in the footsteps of Kensington because they actually had to print a t-shirt for the first three months of services because they, they can't get a building. So they're in like four different buildings. So they are like Kensington in the early years where we said, if you can find us, you can join us. And so those two are Birmingham church plants, guys. Way to go. And a lot of you, a ton of you have supported them, not only through Kensington, but also in personal, personally giving to their church. It's beautiful. So I thank you for that. Well, listen, the second point I want to make is this. Laughter is not only a gift from God, it does a body good. Laughter actually has effects that some of you know about. But we actually have a video. I'd like you to just look at it, and then I'm going to come back, come back and talk about the benefits of laughter, the science of laughter. Uh, our, good, our good friend Mike Nelson has helped us explore this. Take a look. I wonder why Marvel doesn't put advertisements on the hall. He is essentially a giant banner. Well, some of you may have chuckled at that silly joke. Some of you had no urge whatsoever. Humor is very subjective, and some people laugh more easily than others. But one thing's for sure, laughter is a great gift. Some laughs are immediately recognized. We have Chewbacca laughing at one of Han Solo's mistakes. Laugh it up, fuzzball. The annoying laugh from Janice. <laughs> or Seth Rogen. <laughs> Always. Oh, that's really funny. In an article in Psychology Today, they followed 1,200 case studies. The research found that while both sexes laugh a lot, females laugh more, 126% more than their male counterparts. While women tend to do the most laughing, males tend to do the most laugh-getting. Think back to your high school class clown. Most likely the clown was a male. Have you ever caught yourself laughing at inappropriate times? Well, I know I have. <laughs> That's because laughter's not under conscious control. It simply happens. Fight it all you want, but you'll probably lose. According to Forbes magazine, laughter is a potent endorphin releaser. One of the most recent studies on laughter shows that laughing with others releases endorphins in the brain, our homegrown feel-good chemicals, via opioid receptors. The more opioid receptors a given person has in their brain, the more powerful the effect. This explains why social laughter is so contagious. <laughs> Want to be more heart smart? Well, put down those beta blockers and listen to your favorite comedian. It's true. Research has shown that laughter has an anti-inflammatory effect that protects blood vessels and heart muscles from that damaging effects of cardiovascular disease. Oh my. How this happens isn't exactly understood, but hearty, regular laughter should probably be part of every heart disease prevention program. Feel a cold coming on? Oh no. Well, emergency's got nothing on a good epic fail. A good guffaw has been proven to produce T cells, and the T cells are activated. They fight off that nasty virus. The next time your throat starts to itch, add some chuckling to your illness prevention plan. 
tired of dieting and vigorous exercise? Well, I know I am. So open up Netflix and watch an episode of The Office. Your abs will get a great workout with some robust laughter. The muscles in your stomach expand and contract, similar to when you're on an ab roller. Plus, the muscles you're not using have a time to relax. And what about your day at work, huh? Having trouble meeting your deadline, maybe? Well, good news. David Chain and Lou Wayne, Australian National University management professors, conducted a study about laughter in the workplace. It was found that people who watched a funny video clip before a tedious task showed great perseverance and were able to spend twice as long on the tiresome project compared with people who watched a neutral video. In the business world, many successful organizations such as Zappos, Virgin, and Google deliberately build play areas into their workspaces and organize fun activities to alleviate the stressful nature of work, boost morale, and increase productivity. According to the Mayo Clinic, there are some other great benefits to laughter. It stimulates your heart, lungs, and the muscles. It fires up and then cools down your stress, leaving a more relaxed feeling. A good howl can stimulate circulation and aid muscle relaxation. It also produces its own painkillers, huh? Laughter has so many great benefits. Go ahead and give it a try. Turn the corners of your mouth into a smile and then give a laugh. <laughs> Even if it feels a little forced. Once you've had your chuckle, take stock in how you're feeling. Huh? That's the natural wonder of laughing. Laughter, studies say, does six things. Think about this. It relaxes the whole body. It boosts the immune system. It triggers the release of endorphins. It protects the heart. It actually even burns calories. And maybe most importantly, it lightens anger's load. Nothing diffuses anger and conflict faster than a shared laugh. And then finally... Studies are showing that laughter may even help you to live longer. Proverbs 17 says this, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. This word literally means merry-hearted. In other words, it's living with a perspective of life. And I want you to think about it. Think of the people that you admire the most or that, that you have seen enjoy life the most, and probably in them, is this sense of joy, the sense of living with a sense of laughter, of seeing the good. It's like laughter is God's oil for life. There's a scripture that I love that I just was thinking about this, Psalm 51, verse 8. It says, let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. I thought this is the kind of laughter when life is at its hardest. I don't know what the heaviness of your life is like, but I have felt like the challenges of life for me never go away. And if it's true that hearty laughter heals the heart, how do we find that along the way? Because I think the video actually misses the most important piece of laughter. I think the greatest laughter comes out of relationship. You've got to be in relationship with people. You've got to know people to enjoy what's happening along the way. And Jenny and I were talking about this beforehand. When I'm on social media, I find very little that makes me laugh. Because so many of the people that I'm seeing 
are not people I'm in daily relationship with. And so I see their life, like I, I'll see a nephew who's in Hawaii, you know, cl- cliff diving in Hawaii. Instead of feeling joy about it, I feel what? What do you feel? I feel envy, or I feel like, man, I'm kind of missing out on that because I'm not in relationship with that person. But if I see, if I see Jenny post something, or Justin about one of their kids, I feel differently about it because I see Justin and Jenny almost every day. I'm in life with them. I'm in journey with them. So when I see them, I know that I'm not just seeing the highlight of their life. I'm living with them in the realities of life. Our daughters still reflect on that, their little brother being, being born, and we think about all the funniest times around our dinner table or our lunch table we're always instigated by the youngest, our son. He would do something funny, and the three girls would go into hysterics, thinking he was the funniest guy in the world. And you know what? He's not very funny. <laughs> but they thought he was the funniest thing in the world because he was their brother because they were what? In relationship. My uh, wife and my two oldest daughters went to see our third daughter, who's a lawyer. She's clerking for a U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals judge in Las Vegas this year. And they went out to see her this weekend for a four-day weekend. And I'm seeing all kinds of videos of them in beautiful 80-degree Las Vegas weather by beautiful pools and by the Bellagio and all this stuff. I don't feel any envy at all. Because why? Because I'm just so happy they're what? In re- they've got four days to be in relationship together. And I know that Helen, when they leave on Tuesday morning, is going to weep to see her niece and her nephew and her two sisters and her mother leave, and she's not, again, it's, who knows, next time we see each other. Because it's relationship that makes joy. Well, we were a little jealous, so I got my two sons-in-law yesterday. We met for breakfast at Honest to Goodness in Lake Orion with three of my grandsons. And we spent the whole day trying to out-compete the Las Vegas group. <laughs> so we had a huge breakfast filled with all kinds of nasty, heart-clogging kind of things. And then we came back to our house, and uh, this joke's on my wife, because we literally destroyed every inch of the house. I talked to her on the phone, and she says, of course, this is all going to be picked up by the time you pick me up Tuesday at the airport. Oh, honey, it will be perfectly, perfectly repaired. Next, we played Connect. Uh, then we, we jumped off the couches in the, in the living room for an hour and a half, and all the pillows are still spread everywhere. They we went to a nearby church for trunk or treat because of the rain. They had it inside, and then we went through a haunted house walk, which both of my daughters were very upset that we were taking their sons through the haunted house. And we actually, at one point, I picked up one of my grandsons, and he was completely wet. And I'm like, oh, no, he wet his pants as we were walking through. <laughs> it turned out they had a little water machine. He, he didn't wet his pants at all. I mean, he was a man. He took, a, he took the haunted house like a man, three-and-a-half-year-old man. <laughs> and then we had uh, Buddy's Pizza back at the house. We wrestled. Um, and then um, one, of the, one of them, uh, CK, spent the night over because Cam had an international oasis. Some of you have helped with donating furniture there at Oakland University. My son-in-law, you know, leads that. And they had a, a party for about 200 international students from, so I, I put him to bed earlier and then Cam came over and got him at midnight. But here's the crazy thing about it. At the very end of the day, I'm exhausted. And I'm re- reading the Richard Scarry uh, kind of travel books. If you've had kids, you probably remember that. 
and where you try to find gold bug. How many of you have ever tried to find gold bug in a book? Can I just, okay, a lot of you didn't raise your hands. You've lived a very sheltered, sad life. And so, for whatever reason, he wanted to talk about this book, and we read this book for an hour. And I'm just, it's about nine o'clock. And finally, I got him in bed, and I just played music for him, and I sat in the chair and just had a, a dim light on and uh, played Audrey Assad hymns, by the way. Have you ever heard her sing? She'd get beautiful hymns, old, old-timey hymns. And The weirdest thing happened. I thought, I must have had 500 hugs today, yesterday, and 1,000 laughs all day long. And my, one of my grandsons was asleep in the bed, and I'm sitting there playing music, and I'm doing a little reading, and Audrey Assad is singing the deep, deep, love of Jesus. Beautiful song. And here's the weirdest part of the day. I started weeping. (laughs) I'm just weeping. And I'm like, what is going on? You know what I realized? I realized that a day of laughter and joy had left me more tender and raw to Jesus than I had been in months. Is that not the craziest thing? Like you'd think at the end of the day, that'd be, oh, what a great day, whatever. I just, I was like, God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, you let me have this day. My daughters and my, my daughters get to be with, with my wife in Las Vegas with a couple of grandkids, and I got to share this with these two sons-in-law that I love. By the way, you know what, I, I, you, you guys remember the story that I would tell my girls when they were little? Every night, the three girls would be in bed. And we were in a little thousand square foot house and we'd had, we had them in the master bedroom. And every night, Mike, you probably remember this, I'd say, you know, if all the little girls were lined up around the equator, around the whole world, you know which, you know who I'd pick, don't you? Remember that? Anybody remember this story? And they'd all go, <laughs> they just, they thought that was the funniest thing. And I'd say, I'd pick you. And they, because <laughs> they just felt so valuable because that's what we did every night after we'd read the Bible and we'd read Chronicles of Narnia or something and, I'd say, I choose you. Well, my two sons-in-law, I've always told them, I said, you know, if all the potential sons-in-law had been lined up around the equator, I would have never picked you two guys. <laughs> would have never happened in a million years. But you know what? They're amazing guys, and I love them, and I had a beautiful day. But at the end of that day, isn't it interesting that all of the craziness, all the wrestling, all the running, all the rain, all the costume and candy and Buddy's Pizza and eating out, and all is at the end of the day, what happened to me? My heart was tenderized because that's what God does with joy. God brings a joy that gives you the greatest sense of of joy and also the tender feelings of of sadness along the way. That's why a big part, why laughter does a body good. There's a third thing that I want you to think about whenever you're laughing or you find joy in the silliness of life is that laughter points to the joy God. Laughter points to the joy God. Do you remember Jesus got in trouble? Do you remember the religious leaders? Do you remember what they called him? Anybody? They called him a wine-bibber. Oh, yeah. He's off partying with the crazy people. Because he, I don't think Jesus was drunk out there. I don't think that's true. But they, they said, you're hanging with all the sinners and the reckless. You're going to the party with tax collectors. You're out. You, you know, he told his disciples, he said, don't fast while you're with me. The bridegroom's here, man. This is the time for celebration. There's going to come a time when you're going to fast. Life's going to get hard. But with me, this is for celebration. That's why Jesus said, 
I came that you'd have life and have it to the full. This is the joy God. This is the joy that says, again, think about this, Hebrews 12. says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. Are you kidding me? He went through the cross because what he saw was laughter and joy on the other side for us being in relationship with him? That's what he wanted? So whatever long-faced religion you've got, believe me, it's not from God. Religion's got you just kind of walking around. And, oh, that's not, I, don't, I don't think that's Jesus. He says, this is not a day of mourning. This is a day holy to me. So eat and drink and give yourself to other people and rejoice. In fact, in Philippians 4, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. A lot, some of you have probably memorized this. I memorized this when I was uh, in eight, eight years old. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So why rejoice? I think the reason is because he's near. You know, I did a lot of crazy things in my life with my dad. When I was 12 years old, I remember, remember we were hunting Cape Buffalo in Block 68A in Kenya, and I remember we got nearly killed by a charging herd of Cape Buffalo that came thundering by probably 20 yards from us, and there was nothing we could do. They came, and they just veered off at the last minute. Here's the crazy thing. I wasn't really scared. Not because I was brave, but because I was with my dad. There was a sense of with when he was near, I don't ever remember feeling afraid ever once in my whole life. I remember uh, we, were, we were in our Pugio station wagon and we got charged by a, an angry uh, bull elephant and he, and he came just tearing down this two-lane road and Dad put the Pugio in reverse and it was going 30 miles an hour watching the rearview mirror and watching this elephant chase us for almost a half a mile. And I remember all I can think of was, man, my dad is good under pressure. <laughs> Why do you rejoice? You choose joy, and you choose to rejoice because God is near. He's never let you go. You might be in the worst, darkest moment. You might have experienced the worst loss. But where is Jesus in this story? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's what? Tell me. He's what? He's with me to rejoice exceedingly. I just really believe this with all my heart. I really believe that joy and Jesus are connected. I think if you really meet Jesus, you begin to taste joy in the midst of the most difficult things in your life. But you can't manufacture joy on your own. That's why when you do a day on laughter, you can't, just, you can't manufacture laughter. Laughter has to happen out of its own reality. But if we truly believe that Jesus is alive, then we know where joy and laughter comes from. Dave Wilson said it this way. No Jesus, no joy. But if you know Jesus, you know joy. Do you have that up there? It's kind of just a little play words. I'd love for you to think about that and remember that. If you really want to know joy, then the path is obvious. Get to know Jesus and joy will be a byproduct. Now, I, just want, to, I, want, I want to be absolutely clear about this. The Old Testament has a prophecy about Jesus. And he said, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Got that, Walter? You've known that. You know, you, know, you know that in all the grief of your life, Jesus has known every part of that. 
On the other hand, is this Jesus who's yelling at his disciples because they're trying to keep the little kids from coming to him. Can you be surrounded by little kids for very long without being overwhelmed by laughter? Wouldn't you have liked to have seen me yesterday when I picked up in, in the haunted house, when I picked up one of my grandkids, and he was completely soaked around his bottom, and I'm like, Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Because those are the moments where you just think, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. As long as i got a brain, I'm going to remember picking him up and thinking he had wet his pants. <laughs> Jesus has lived every reality we've ever known. All the loss that plagues us, all the joys that lift our hearts, Jesus knows every part of our life. And because he knows every part, we know we're never alone, and that with him, there's joy even in the midst of all the grief and the sorrow. At my dad's funeral, I was uh, supposed to conduct it, I, I, like I was going to speak at my dad's funeral, but 14 of my nieces and nephews ended up speaking instead. And you know what happened in the two-hour funeral service? I thought I would... I thought I wouldn't feel one ounce of joy, not one, one, not one moment of levity. And you know what I spent two hours doing at my dad's funeral? We laughed the whole time. We'd laugh, and then we'd weep, and then we'd laugh at something else funny, and we'd, all, all his grand, grandsons and granddaughters just picked all the quirky things about him. that were. And so in the moment where you thought there's, there's no way there's going to be any laughter in this day, all it was was filled with the richest kind of laughter that comes out of relationship. And so Jesus says to us, I came that you'd have life and have it to the full. That's what my agenda for you. That's what I, I want for you along the way. And my joy is something that the world can't take away. There are people that I see all over the world that are suffering. And you know what they have? They have more joy than I have. Because their joy is not dependent on circumstances. Their laughter and their, is not dependent on how the circumstances are going. Mike and Kathy, we were, in, we were in, in the West Bank, in Palestine, in Bethlehem, and we were hearing these stories of the Palestinian Christians and how they're suffering in the West Bank. And when you're with them, you know what you feel? Tell me. You feel joy because, because they see Jesus in the midst of the darkest things. Everywhere I go in the world, I see this and I taste this. I see it, saw this. God, what am I going to tell this? In February, I was in Nepal, and there were three nights where we went to three different safe houses where girls have been rescued and are going through training. And Ramesh had different ones of the girls stand up and tell their story. And I'm telling you guys, some little bitty girl, 14 years old, would get up and tell how her parents basically sold her as a, a maid to another home when she was 10 years old. And as a maid, basically, she was just trafficked until she was rescued. And she tells her story, and, and we just wept and wept. And then another person told, and in the most horrendous stories I've ever heard in my whole life. And do you know what happened at the end of the, oh, and every time one of these little these, these beautiful young women would start to weep. Ramesh would, Ramesh would go, be strong. He said, come on, be strong. You be strong right now. 
you tell the story and you'd be strong. And they'd, and they'd regather themselves. And at the end of that night was one of the biggest surprises of my whole life. You know what happened? They started playing music and a dance party broke out. We had been weeping for two hours. And the next thing we're out there, I'm out there <laughs> doing, doing my thing. And, and every one of these girls, you know, and again, because the girls have been hurt as a man, very careful in Nepal in terms of touch and wouldn't want to be completely safe. And so I was very careful about hugging the girl. But every one of these girls came to Paula. And Paula would take every single girl and hold their face because most of them were her, si- her height. And she'd hold them. And she, she, she didn't have a translator that night while the dance party. She took each girl, the 40 girls in that, in that room, she'd take them. She'd just hold their face and look them in the face. And just, she, she just said, I wanted them to know that there was a sparkle in my eye for them. That was one of the, the most joyful dance party I've ever experienced in my whole life. And I mean, we could barely make it back to the hotel. We were so exhausted after laughing and crying. But this is what God does. And so my last point is this. The best kind of laughter is the laughter that comes when all hope is past. It's like when you expect there to be no more laughter and God brings laughter. Like you don't think there can be any laughter. That nothing good can come out of the devastations of life. And I love this story. This is where we get the actual word laughter. In Genesis 18, there were these three angels, these three representatives of God that came to Abraham and Sarah. And it said in Genesis 18, 10, uh, after they had eaten this meal, uh, one of these angels says to Sarah, and to Abraham says, I will surely return to you this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. She was 90 years old. And God tells her she's going to have a baby. Now, does that strike you as funny? You're 90 years old, you're going to have a baby. Abraham was 100. Verse 12, so Sarah, what? She laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out, And my Lord is old. Now that's just full of all kinds of meaning, isn't it? She said, will I now have this pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, I think, by the way, one of these three, I think was representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about it as an epiphany about God appearing in human form in the Old Testament. It's like when when Daniel's friends were burning in the lion's den and said, we threw three men in, but we see four men standing there. And one of them looks like a son of God. This is one of those moments, guys. And Jesus, I think this is Jesus. And the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? I could almost see the person going, oh, yeah. So you're laughing? Keep a straight face. like. And what does Sarah do? She lies. Why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid. So she lied, which is a great thing to do with God. God, because God's really easy to fool. She says, I did not laugh. And the Lord says, yes, you did. Come on, isn't that a great moment? I thought these are the moments that I want to say to you. There are people here that are struggling right now. Every one of us in this room has children and friends and loved ones who are struggling terribly right now. I got people in my life right now that are at wit's end. Do you? Do you? 
In these moments, the Lord comes and says, I'm with you. Band, come on up. I need the band to come up and, and help me finish this day. But Sarah was so beyond hope that the promise of life seemed ridiculous. You ever been there? Where you thought, someone says, no, the best things are going to happen to you. And you think it's never going to happen. You know, when Paula was 38, her mother died. And all, this is my wife. And all of, so much of her well-being was tied up into her mom. And after her mom died, something really bad happened. She started looking to me for her support. And she started comparing me to her mother. And it was bad. We had five or six really terrible years. Like we did not know if our marriage was going to survive. Laughter seemed to wash, seemed to just go away. And during this time, thinking we were done with three children, three beautiful daughters, she got pregnant. And she was so embarrassed because we were so broke. She, she didn't want to tell me because she thought, everybody's going to judge us because we can't even afford the three kids we have. But you know what? You know what you find out about kids? It works itself out somehow. You know? And I remember in the midst of those dark, dark days where you feel like you're never going to laugh again. We went in and we saw that ultrasound. And I'd never seen an ultrasound before. And I was just thinking of the kindness of God. God didn't have to give us one more child. We, we, we were infertile for five years. We were told we would never have children. We ended up having four. We, we didn't know how to turn it off for a while. And I remember looking at that ultrasound. It's the only ultrasound I've ever looked at in my whole life. And I looked at it, and I mean, in three seconds, I thought, am I looking at what I think I'm looking at? That's not a girl. That's a boy. Not super impressive, but a boy nonetheless. <laughs> and my three daughters were there. They were eight, six, and four. And, of course, what did we do? When they looked at it, they didn't know what they were looking at, but they could see the baby. They could see their little brother moving in there. And what did we do? Say it. We laughed. And you know what? With that son, I've wept with that son. I've cried with that son. I've laughed with that son. You know? Because we all do. But in the midst of that, Jesus never lets us go. And we find laughter along the way because it's what God loves. He loves our weeping. He loves the tenderness, but he, he loves the laughter as well. It's all his grace working in us. So, Lord, thank you. As we sing this song, as Jen leads us, and we sing just about your love and your grace that gives us life, I pray that you would just tenderize our hearts right now and think of all the beautiful things you've done in us, the kindness that we, we felt that we never expected to see, the laughter that's rung out in our hearts at times that we least expected it. In Jesus' name.